welcome everybody. Good to have you here. Right now we have family meeting out at our Stone Canyon campus as well as others who will be joining us later online. So would you welcome them into our time here today? Uh, this past Tuesday, LSU beat UK. Chad's not here today. Coincidence? Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at. If you want to get there in your Bibles or uh, get there on the app, we'll be following on there. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I don't know if you have seen this video um, about uh, a guy by the name of Chris Gursky from Florida. He was uh, in Switzerland, first day on vacation in Switzerland, and decided to go hang gliding for the very first time. And uh, he had a little mishap. Uh, and uh, he videoed it, and, and uh, as he took off, what you quickly discover is his pilot did not attach his harness. Problem, all right? And so they take off and immediately realize something is wrong. And all he can do is hold on. Yes, he gives us little... Uh, narratives at the bottom to let us know what he's feeling, but holding on by my hands. And yes, that's all he is holding on by. As he is, is going through the air, they continue to get higher, continuing to adjust himself, trying to get a better grip. And if you're like me, every time I watch this, my heart starts pounding as they continue to uh, get higher. Now they're coming up over this valley, and he continues to try to get a better grip. And all he can do is hold on. And as they continue to go, you, you see the pilots trying to figure things out. And yeah, it's like, I don't know what to do. And, and as they continue to go, his, his right hand will soon move down to where he grabs hold of his pants. And they just keep going, getting higher. Not good. <laughs> I, I mean, are you on the edge of your seat? And all he could do was hang on for dear life. <laughs> you want to know what happened, don't you? <laughs> they landed hard. He broke his wrist, but he survived. But all he could do was hold on. And sometimes we go through life and that's how we would characterize life. Just holding on, holding on for dear life. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we could describe our faith like that. Just, just holding on, to, just trying to make it as we go through life, as we go through challenging circumstances and dark times, just holding on. Matter of fact, the Bible at a, in a number of places talks about holding on. It will use words like abide or, or persevere or stand fast or stand firm, hold fast. And it's this call to just hold on in the midst of life, in the midst of trials, just hold on. Jesus addresses that several times. If you go over to John chapter 15 where he's having a discussion about how his followers would be connected uh, to him, how we're to be connected to him. And he compares us to a vine there. And in verse 5, as he describes it, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If we just abide in him, and then there's a promise there that not only are we abiding in him, holding on to him, but he in turn, he, he is abiding in us. He's holding on to us. 
And he just says, hold on, this is what my disciples do. Over in Luke chapter 8, there again Jesus is talking and he gives a, a lesson about what the good news is like as he compares it to the farmer's seed being cast out on the ground and the different kinds of soils. Maybe you remember that story. And as he describes that in verse 15, it says this, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. By persevering, by holding on, by pressing on, their life then produces a crop of goodness and blessing the world and change lives even from our own lives. The writer of Hebrews talks about this over in Hebrews chapter 4. There he's talking about our great high priest, Jesus, who has gone to heaven uh, ahead of us. He, he's been here. He understands what life is like. He's faced the pressures. He's faced the darkness. He's faced the challenging circumstances. And now he's in heaven. He's there on our behalf. And there in verse 14, Hebrews 4, it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us Hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Hold on to your faith. No matter what you're going through, no matter what challenges you're facing, what darkness is, is in your life right now, hold on to your faith. Don't let go of your faith. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a crisis of faith? Have you ever, ever had a moment, a time in your life where it just didn't make sense? You just couldn't figure it out. It didn't seem like God was speaking clearly to you. And you just wondered, God, what is going on? Is this faith thing really even real? Have you been there? The fact is, life is filled with dark times and challenging circumstances and heartbreak. And as believers in Christ, we're not immune to that at all, are we? Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure Jesus told us, said, get ready. Life's going to be hard. You're going to face struggles. But God in his word just tells us, don't give up. Don't let go of your faith. Don't let go of Jesus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there Paul, the Apostle Paul, if you know, you know Paul's story, many of you know Paul's story, he was Saul until he met Jesus on that road to Damascus and his life was changed. He went from killing Christians to making Christians and planting, planting churches all over the place and now he is writing a letter to one of the churches that he planted there in the city of Thessalonica. And it's the second letter that he's writing to them because he knows that they're facing challenging times, dark times, persecution in the church. And so he's writing to encourage them, writing the second letter once again to encourage them because they continue to face the struggle. They continue to face the persecution. It could be a spillover of the persecution that he himself faced whenever he was there. If you go to Acts chapter 17, read the story when he, where he and Silas, his companion, they were there and they were taking the gospel there. And before everything is done, they are ran out of town by a mob because they didn't like his message. And maybe that same mob, those same people who were stirring that up are still stirring things up for the church there. And so Paul, once again, he's writing them this letter. And in 
chapter 2, verse 13. This is after he's just got through talking a little bit about the challenges that they have faced. He says this in verse 13 and 14. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He knows they're discouraged. He knows they're struggling. And he comes to this part and he begins to to show them and give them encouragement. And he begins by saying, we are thankful for you. That's how he starts. We are thankful for you. We're thankful because of what you you are allowing God to do through you as the church continues to move forward and you build the kingdom. We're thankful for you. He goes on, he says, you are loved by Jesus. Brothers, you are loved by the Lord. Don't forget that, brothers. You are loved by Jesus. Don't let those current circumstances, don't let the hardships that you're facing make you think anything different. That, oh, maybe Jesus doesn't love us anymore. This is his punishment on us. No, 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 no. He loves you. Don't forget that. He goes on and he says, you are chosen from the beginning, where he talks about that you are first fruits. From the beginning of time, before this earth was even created, God knew who were going to be his followers. The the plan was anybody who would believe in him, remember John 3, 16, that simple little verse, anyone who would believe in him will not perish, but they are chosen, a chosen people to to be saved. He says, don't forget you're some of those chosen You've believed, you've trusted. Next, he goes on, he says, and God is doing a work in your life. He's bringing change in your life. That big church word, sanctification. (laughs) It's change, transformation through the spirit of God at work inside of them, through the truth of God that continues to penetrate them as they study and understand more fully what God desires for them. Their lives are being transformed and Paul, once again, he's reminding them God is doing a work in you. He's changing you. He's conforming you more to his likeness. Don't forget that. Hold on to that. And he encourages them with all these words. Remember, God has a plan for you. But Paul doesn't end there. After he lays out all these reasons for encouragement for them, he gives them two more challenges. The first one is this. Hold on to truth hold on to truth see the fact is this in this world there are all kinds of voices right there are so many voices out there who claim to have the truth And when we find ourselves in the midst of darkness, when we find ourselves hurting, when we find ourselves seeking answers, that's when we are most susceptible to listening to the other voices, to the other ideologies that are out there. Oh, this will make things better. This makes more sense. And Paul, verse 15, says, no, 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 hold to the truth. Look at verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. 
So then, he begins with, so then. What's so then? That means he's just referring back to what he just talked about. Okay, because of all these factors, these things that I just encourage you with, all right, that, that we're thankful for you, that Jesus loves you, that God has a plan for you, that God's working in you. So then, based on all these things, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand fast, literally. It's a military terminology. Kind of has two concepts to it. Number one is, is this. Uh, don't cowardly run away. When you're in the midst of the battle, when you're in the midst of the challenging times, don't cowardly run away. This is too hard. I've had enough, Jesus. I'm out of here. No, stand firm. Second thing is this. Don't cause or don't become treasonous in your thinking don't turn on Jesus don't go to the enemy's side don't follow another truth and turn against the one whom right now you worship instead continue to fight Now, I want you to understand something. Whenever we talk about hold on, it's not so much of a defensive position or a weak position, though we can find ourselves in those places. But it is, in a sense, as Paul says here in Stand Firm, to continue to fight, continue to go on the offensive, continue to carry out the call that God has put on to you. And then he says this, not only are they to stand firm, but hold to the traditions. Other versions will say hold to the teachings. For them, they were, and he defines it, some of those things were things that they orally had passed down to them when they were actually there, when Paul and Silas were there preaching the message to them and taking the gospel of Jesus to them. And he says, hold on to that. But then he also says, and also from my letter, this is the second letter. And so from his first letter, hey, don't forget what I wrote you. Don't forget those things that I told you about before hold on to the teachings hold on to that truth for us that truth is God's word that we have that is his truth we stand upon that truth we're not to back down from that truth we're, we're to allow that truth to continue to penetrate our lives and change us so that our faith continues to grow it's that truth that truth of Jesus, who, if you were a follower of Jesus, at some point when you heard that truth, you placed your faith in Jesus. Maybe you can remember that day when it clicked and you said, okay, I believe. I believe Jesus is who he says that he is. I believe Jesus came. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe he rose again and now he's in heaven and he's coming back. I believe. And you can remember whenever you stepped into the water and you died to an old self and you rose to a new life because of that faith. You remember that. And I think maybe Paul, he's taking him back to that. Is don't forget. Life is hard, but don't forget the faith. Don't forget the truth. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Jesus would say something about it over here in 
Over in John chapter 8, when he says this, he's speaking to some of the Jews. Some of them are beginning to believe in him. And he says this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hold on to my teaching, he says. Hold on to my truth. That's what my disciples do. And so we hold on. I believe one of the reasons Paul is addressing that is it seems that some in the church had already let go of the truth. If you go on into chapter 3, verse 6 over there, he talks about that. He challenges them there and and challenges them not to uh, be like those who are idle in their faith, who quit following the tradition, quit following the teachings, quit holding to the truth. Listen, one of Satan's greatest tactics is the distortion of the truth to get us off holding on to the truth. You can go all the way back to the beginning, go to Genesis chapter 3, whenever Satan is there with Eve and they're sitting by, they're by the tree and they're having a little friendly conversation. And Satan asks the question, did God really say, did he really say you can't eat of the tree? And Eve tries to quote what God said. Matter of fact, she actually distorts what, what, what God had told her. He said, he, we can't even touch the tree. No, God didn't actually say that. But Satan sees an opportunity. He drills in, and he then convinces her of another truth. And she eats, and then Adam eats, and then here we are today. And Satan continues to work his lies to get us to grasp hold of a different truth. He's lying to us. The world is lying to us. And sometimes, you know what? We even lie to ourselves to justify our lifestyle and our sin. Paul here says, hold on to the truth. Those solid truths, those absolute truths of God's word. You see, while the culture keeps redefining truth, and the culture keeps redefining morality, we are to stand firm on truth. And if we're going to make it through this life, if we're going to make it through the dark times, the hard circumstances, we've got to hold on to the truth. Paul doesn't end there. He goes on to say that we need to hold on to our hope. We need to hold on to our hope You see, within that truth that we hold on to, there is this message of hope that Jesus does love us and that Jesus does have a plan for us and that ultimately in eternity, for eternity, we're going to be with him as his followers. That's our hope and that's what we hold on to. And he says, don't lose sight of that hope. Sometimes it is so hard to hold on to hope. Samuel, Samuel Clemens, more uh, well-known as Mark Twain, that humorist and all the things that he did, uh, just legendary in, in our nation. He was married to a, a woman by the name of Olivia Langdon. Mark Twain was an agnostic, okay? Didn't really, basically didn't care if there was a God or not. But Olivia was a devout believer, uh, followed Jesus, was plugged in the church and uh, stayed in God's word. And Mark Twain 
loved to jide her on that. And he would say things like, Livy, that's what he'd call her, Livy. If God is so good, then why does he allow this or that bad thing that's happened around them? And throughout their marriage, he would keep hounding her on that, pressing her on that. Why do you believe? Why do you believe? Why do you believe? And over time, she began to, to back off from her faith. And even Mark Twain himself said he noticed that her usual cheer, her positive spirit began to wane, and she took on a more dark, depressed countenance. And it even came to a point where Mark Twain himself, talking to his wife, said this, Livy, if it'll help you, why don't you return to your faith? And she replied to him, I can't. It's all gone now. She'd lost her hope. The pressures of life, the pressures of her husband, pushed her until it was gone. When we come to verses 16 and 17 here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul prays a short prayer for them. And he begins this prayer by pointing them to what Jesus has already accomplished for them. Look at it with me, if you will, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Look at verse 17. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. He begins by taking them back to Jesus' love for them, like he's already talked about in verse 13, and the eternal comfort or the eternal encouragement that, that has been accomplished for us through Christ that he already talked about in verse 14. He takes them back to that. Here's my prayer. I don't want you to forget these things. Hold on to the, these things, this hope that we have, because Jesus loves you and this hope of eternal comfort in heaven that we're going to be able to experience one day. I want you to hold on to these things. But then in verse 17, he shifts and he says, but this is my prayer for you in your current circumstances, what you're going through right now. And his first prayer is this, that God would comfort them, would comfort their hearts. That in the midst of their persecution, in the midst of the dark time, that God would, would step in and they would experience that comfort, that peace that passes all understanding. That they would experience that now, in this time, in their life. So this is my prayer. That you'll experience Him. You'll experience that comfort. Secondly, he says, he prays that God would establish them. That God would establish them. That God would provide the strength that they need to hold on, to press on through whatever they faced in that life. And in return, if God would empower them, if He would establish them, if He would help them to stand firm, then in turn, their lives would then produce these good works. The working of the Word that would come out of them as they continue to Share the good news of Jesus. And that's his prayer. Hold on to the hope. Don't let go. Continue to press on towards eternity in heaven. Hold on to truth. Hold on to hope. That's where Paul takes them. Just hold on. 1987 in Portland, Maine, a little commuter plane had taken off from 
the airport and uh, didn't make it very far, about five miles out, uh, still climbing. There was a noise in the back. And in this, uh, in this particular flight, the, there was uh, only the pilot and the co-pilot in the plane. And, and when they heard the noise, the pilot, Henry Dempsey was his name, uh, knew that he needed to go check this out. And so he left the controls in the hands of the co-pilot. He went to the rear of the plane and quickly discovered that the rear door was not properly secured. About the time he got to the door, they hit some turbulence and, and he was thrown forward into the door. And the door came open. And at 4,000 feet, he was sucked out of the plane. Now, immediately when the door came all the way open, red light went on in the cockpit. Co-pilot sees this. He's able to look back in the small plane and see that Henry was no longer in the plane. He immediately radios to the airport for emergency landing. At the same time says, dispatch a helicopter to find the body of Henry, his friend. And he quickly begins to maneuver the plane to make an emergency landing and takes him almost 15 minutes to finally get the plane on the ground. Of course, emergency crews were, were there ready to, to assist and be there. And, and when, they, when the plane finally came to a stop, they immediately converged on the plane. And he, the co-pilot, immediately went to the back of the plane. And to their astonishment, they found Henry holding on to the ladder. By instinct, at 4,000 feet, 200 miles an hour, he just grabbed and grabbed hold of the cable of the ladder and held on tight. When he landed, somehow he was holding on somewhat in an upside-down fashion. I haven't really understood this in my mind, but he's upside down. And when they landed, his head was 12 inches above the pavement. And then they described what it took to get him off. It took 12 minutes for them to pry his fingers off of the cable. He was holding on for dear life. Now you may not be hanging on, clinging at 4,000 feet, 200 miles an hour like Henry was. Maybe you're not dangling, holding on for dear life from a hang glider like Chris was. But nonetheless, maybe you're listening to this today and you're just hanging on. Hold on. Unless you think those words are trite and empty, Hang on, hang in there. The call is, hold on to Jesus. Don't let go. Stand your ground. Continue to fight. Continue to trust in his truth. Continue to hold on to the hope that we have in him. And remember, it's like John 15 at the same time, Jesus is holding on to you. Isaiah the prophet speaks to this over in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13. He says this, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. 
It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. I like the way the message puts this, Eugene Peterson. He says this, because I, your God, have a firm grip on you and I'm not letting go. I'm telling you, don't panic. I'm right here to help you. Is that a message you need to hear today? God is here to help and God is holding on tight. Don't let go of him. I know it's a message that I need to hear. I know it's a message that I've needed to hear throughout my life. I can go back. I can go back and I can start my list of all the times when I can look back and see where all I can do is hold on and just trust that he was holding on to me. I can go all the way back whenever, whenever I was going in third grade and my parents got divorced. I didn't know what that even hardly meant. But for the years to come, I began to discover more what that meant. And there were times, tough times, where I just held on. And looking back, I know God was holding on to me. Wouldn't be here today if he wasn't. Trying to get through college. Some of you are college students in here. Trying to pay my way through college. Going through times whenever I couldn't pay my way through college. I had to take a break. God, I'm going into ministry. Why in the world aren't you providing for me? But I held on. He held on to me. Then I got married. First two years of marriage. First few years of marriage. Some of you have been there. Not always sure why they call it a honeymoon. It's hard. Trying to figure each other out. Always talk about bringing two sinners together underneath one roof and watch out. We were no different. About midway through our marriage, my ministry here changed to getting out of youth ministry. That rocked our world. We, we fought and fought and couldn't figure out what was going on. Went to counseling to get things figured out and had a counselor look at us and go, here's the problem. And God held on. We held on. And now we're 25 years plus and we're still holding on. <laughs> ministry. I won't go too far there, but it's hard. It can be discouraging. It can be hard, but I hold on. I know God holds on to me. I know everyone here, everybody listening to this today, you've got your list. And your list may be longer than mine. And your list may be darker than mine. Your valleys may be deeper than mine. And it may be harder than, may have been harder than mine. But hopefully you can still look back and see the times where you just held on. And more importantly, you can, you can recognize the times where you know God held on to you. Keep holding on. You see, often we pray this prayer. Whenever we're in the midst of hardships, we, we pray a prayer. God, take this away from me. God, remove this. I'm not sure that's the prayer we ought to be praying. Because God doesn't always remove the things. It should be, God, walk with me through the valley. Hold on to me in the valley. Give me strength to hold on to you in the valley. And help me get through to the other side. Psalm chapter 91, the writer there, he says this. And again, the message of verse, I just like the way it puts it here. It says this, if you'll hold on to me for dear life, says God, I'll get you out of any trouble. I'll give you the best of care 
if you'll only get to know and trust me. Call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you, then throw you a party. I'll give you a long life. Give you a long drink of salvation. That's our God. He wants to get us through to our ultimate home. Eternity with Him. He wants to get us to the party. No matter what you're facing, no matter where you're at, hold on to Jesus. Just hold on. Father in heaven, help us to hold on. And God, do not quit holding on to us. And God, we know you won't because your word is true and we know we can trust it. God, I know that listening to this message right now, there are some who've never held on to you. They've never trusted in your truth. They've never discovered and held on to your hope. God, maybe if there's some of those here today, may you introduce yourself to them right now. And God, for others who are listening, God, I, I pray for those who are following you and they are down to their fingertips still trying to hold on. God, give them a firm grip. Help them. Lift them up. Strengthen them. Strengthen their resolve. Help them to stand their ground. Help them to continue the fight. God, may you continue to use every one of us as your followers, your disciples, to continue to advance your cause, to spread your good news of this great hope to this world that so desperately needs it. God, we love you, and we trust you. Help us to keep holding on. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.